Find us together in love while we wait. Find us together in love. Come find us together in love while we wait. Find us together in love. Come find us together in love while we wait. Find us together in together in love while we wait bind us together in love come bind us together in love while we wait bind us together in love come bind us together in love while we wait bind us together in love
Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, I want to introduce a friend, and um, let me give you a quick story. We went to Herrenhut, Germany. About a year ago, we were invited. We didn't plan to go there. Someone invited us to a conference, and that was in the uh, western part. And uh, they offered to take us to Herrenhut, which is on the eastern. And so, yeah, sure. We hadn't planned on it. Take us. That's where the, the Moravians were, you know. And so they took us, and it was a glorious time. But while we were there, someone put in my ear that there's a move of God going on in Washington State, and it's a, they're praying 24-7, a canopy of prayer. So anyway, it didn't really register. I didn't really believe it, to be honest with you. I didn't know if it was real or not. But anyway, we got back to here, and we were encouraged. We found out it's real. It's real. And we went out there, and it's an amazing move of God. And so we got to connect with Jason Hubbard. He's become a real prayer leader globally in the global movement of prayer. And he actually, his ministry gave us this banner, Our Lamb has conquered, let us follow him. So we invited him out to be with us. He was with our pastors in the local, in, the, in our county. So he's going to speak this morning. Welcome, Jason Hubbard. All right. Bless you. Well, good to be here. Who's happy today? Uh, so we're from Bellingham, Washington, a couple hours north of Seattle, up by the Canadian border. Um, our city is known as the city of subdued excitement. It's painful. It's like the worst name ever. I mean, bored, lonely, independent, pot smoking, you know, kids playing video games, bad. So we've been praying that the Lord would rename our city, and the phrase God gave us was that we would be called a city of hope. And uh, so just recently, we've been praying these 11 years, 24-7 prayer, and our pastors are meeting together to pray, and, um, and they just came out with us. They've called us now the city of renewed excitement. So we're getting there, you know. <laughs> but I just want to share a message of hope with you today. Um, that what God's doing in Bellingham, we're going to believe God's going to do even more here in this region and really all over the earth. Um, hope is future orientated, and I like to describe it this way. It's the joyful expectation of something good coming your way. Every sphere of your life. Our God is a God of hope. How many of you believe that today? There's a good future that's coming your way. And... Um, that's the kind of vision that we need to see of that future right now in our present. Uh, I believe that God has a dream on his heart to magnify his son in the nations of the earth. And, um, you know, we think about hope, right? How many remember the verse, for these three remain, faith, hope, and love, right? But the greatest of these is love. But I think uh, that's the greatest is love, but I think the first is actually hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. And then faith, we know in Galatians, need to work itself out in love. So here's how I like to say it, and this is kind of our theme in our city. We believe that hope is hearing the music of the future. Faith is dancing to that music now. And then love is bringing everybody into the dance with you. Hallelujah. And the song that's being sung is the supremacy and the beauty and the majesty of King Jesus. Um, 
we really are, and, and I want to share a quick video with us this morning, a little four-minute video, but we are on the brink of a billion-soul harvest in the nations. And it's not just a prophecy anymore. Uh, it, is, it is really happening in the nations. I want to share a, a strategy called Go 2020 that we've been helping to facilitate and talk about the prayer side of this. Love for you guys to join in this and those that are watching online. Uh, nations all over the earth from Indonesia, Korea, Brazil. There are literally full and whole denominations involved in this. And um, we're going to see God do some amazing things. Let's watch a quick video here. It's about four minutes. And then I want to pray over the children. Global Outreach Day is a global missions network that calls the church worldwide to focus on praying and sharing the gospel with the unchurched in the month of May each year. This year, May 2020, the vision is to mobilize a hundred million people in united prayer. We're calling this initiative Go 2020. Already Christians in 250,000 churches, 140 nations are part of this global outreach strategy to pray and witness towards the fulfillment of God's great commission. Can you imagine with me, God calling 100 million Christians to united prayer for the global harvest. We know Jesus said that the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest fields of the nations. Would you join us in praying for Go 2020? God has given us five prayer strategies to start praying now up through May 2020. This is not just for the adults. We want to invite the children and the youth to be full partners in this initiative. We want to call everyone to be a praying, witnessing disciple for Christ. Maybe praying this, fill me with your power and use me to invite others to follow you. Each of these five prayer strategies are listed and described in more detail on our website with some helpful resources available to get started. Our first prayer strategy is to call each one of us to pray for five people in our circle of influence. It could be neighbors, co-workers, friends, family members. We want to pray daily for these people and for opportunities to reach them for Christ's love. We want to ask God, number two, for two others to pray together once a week in what we call prayer triplets. We want to pray together also for those that don't know Christ. Number three, we want to mobilize 24-7 prayer. We want to unite churches in your city, in your state, in your nation to adopt a monthly day of prayer. It could be 12 hours or 24 hours. Churches would commit to pray one day a month its members would commit to pray 30 to 60 minutes on that day, and they can pray for their home, work, school, or church. This will provide a continual prayer covering or a canopy of united, strategic, and sustainable prayer towards Go 2020. We want each person or group also to be praying for the unreached peoples of the world to have an opportunity to hear the gospel in their heart language. And finally, we want to call families, churches, cities, and nations to gather on May 1st of 2020 in united prayer. Would you be willing to mobilize your church or your city to join in prayer with believers worldwide on May 1st in your region 
asking God for a massive Christ awakening in the nations of the earth. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he died for our sins. He rose again. He was eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. The world needs to hear it. In the words of the Moravian, call to action for both prayer and mission. May the lamb who is slain receive the due reward for his suffering. Would you come and join us in praying for Go 2020, all for God's glory and our joy. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, as God's been mobilizing people all over the earth for this, um, it's the children that are leading the way. <laughs> I really mean this. We're believing for 50 million of the 100 million to be children and youth. Um, and so I just want us to pray. If we could stand and if there's a, uh, uh, a young person, maybe 21 on down, that you're around, you could lay hands on them and pray for them. Um, maybe pray. If you're not, you could pray for your children. You could pray for your grandchildren today. But I want to lift up the children this morning. Father, I thank you for these ones, Lord. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God and God the living Son, I'm praying and asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. Father, I pray that you would send them, God. They are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today, God. Lord, there's no such thing as the junior Holy Spirit. Spirit of God that's in us, you're in them. And I pray that you would stir up the gifts of the Spirit spirit in them to pray and to fast and to preach the gospel and to plant churches and to make disciples and to heal the sick and to raise the dead. Father, we bless these children and we commission them into the great harvest in these last days. In the mighty name of Jesus and God's people said in agreement, amen and amen. I want to talk this morning um, about the position and the posture of how we can see this kind of stuff of a hundred million believers in united prayer reaching a billion soul harvest. Uh, I want to talk about how do we develop a one thing lifestyle of prayer. Uh, prayer to me is the conversational part of the most important love relationship in our lives. It's building and developing friendship with God. It's learning to keep company with him. It's learning to be known by him and know him and enter into a vibrant and dynamic and real relationship 24-7. It's a lifestyle. And that's what prayer is all about. And, and my hero that I, I believe really speaks where Jesus declares over this woman, she's a remarkable woman, that she was a one thing person that I think God wants us to exemplify. So I'm going to read, you're probably familiar with the story of Mary of Bethany. I'm going to give you a few insights into that. And then we're going to talk about another Mary and I'm praying this year, you might have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up and said to him, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The Son of God steps out of heaven and says, one thing is necessary for your life and for mine. Do you think that's important? <laughs> Not the only thing, but the most necessary thing. The most important thing. Uh, my vision for my life is I want to be a person that enters into the very power and pleasure of being obsessed with the magnificence of Jesus. I want to be an extravagant worshiper. I want to be an anointed deliverer of men. And I want to be a godly husband and father. And uh, so when I was thinking about that phrase, one thing, what does that really mean? If I'm going to be about one person, Jesus Christ. So I looked up a whole bunch of definitions of what this might sound like for you and I. So that if we're going into a store or a school or, you know, our neighborhoods, if people looked at us with these words describe the church, the gathered assembly here at the gathering. Here we go. To be enchanted, to be enamored, to be engrossed with Christ, to be enthralled, to be enraptured, to be entranced with Christ, to be ravished, to be excited, to be enticed by Christ, to be astonished and amazed and awed and astounded and absorbed and beguiled and bedazzled and startled and staggered and smitten and stunned, stupefied, spellbound, consumed, thrilled, thunderstruck, Oof. obsessed, preoccupied, intrigued, impassioned, overwhelmed, overwrought, gripped and wrapped, enthused, electrified, tantalized, mesmerized, monopolized, fascinated, captivated, and exhilarated, intoxicated, and infatuated with all that Christ is. <laughs> Do it, Lord. Do you love him today? Uh, Mary and Martha were sisters, and their brother was Lazarus. Most scholars believe that the parents had passed away. Um, and uh, and uh, Lazarus, we don't know what he got for this inheritance, but Mary was given an alabaster jar of costly perfume. Martha was probably left with the house. We know at least Lazarus got a three-day all-expense trip paid to heaven and back, so that's pretty cool. You know. <laughs> but Mary longed to be at the feet of Jesus. She longed to cultivate a personal secret history in Jesus. I want to ask us a question this morning. If you were to die today and cross over from death to life, and you saw Jesus for the first time face-to-face, would there be memory in that gaze? Would you know the one you're looking at? Would you recognize his voice when he says your name? Would he know you? You know, I think that's the call and dream of God's heart for our lives, that we would have such an intimate and close walk with God, 
friendship with them that when we see him face to face, we would go, I know this one. Yeah? I want that kind of relationship with Jesus, that kind of reality. I want to build that kind and cultivate and foster that kind of a history with him that we know each other because we've walked together. I think Mary of Bethany was one of those that had cultivated that kind of intimacy with Jesus. She had learned to set her heart, to set her gaze on Jesus before God. I think one of the reasons that this story is significant to me and I think to all of us is that, you know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these are not the heroes of the faith, right? They're, they're not the great apostles and the evangelists. And, and I think it's so encouraging that Jesus names this one as his friend. Mary, we can all be like Mary. We might not all be preachers on this platform. We might all be like David Hogan apostles, right? We might not all be great worship leaders like our gal this morning. I mean, unbelievable worship this morning. Wow. You know, I can't sing like that. I never will be able to. <laughs> but I can be like Mary. And so can you. Mary moved the heart of Jesus. And I think it's a, a special um, story for us this morning and can give us some hope today. Uh, there's three things that Mary did, three primary things. These are the three things that describe a one thing lifestyle. Okay, first thing, she's sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She has postured and positioned her heart before the one that she loved. Before the bonfire and the furnace of his love, all three times in Scripture, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit highlights this to us, that she's making this choice to hear his words, to listen to his teaching. Three times she is criticized, and yet she's never described as defending herself. But she's caught up in an audience of one. Her heart attitude is worship. She is in a place and in a submission to the leadership of Jesus in her life. And she was waiting upon him. Uh, the Lord spoke to me the, at the beginning of this year that he said, Jason, I want you to learn to wait upon me. And he said this next, I'm worth waiting for. That's the best part. <laughs> He's the treasure. <laughs> And then he said, Jason, if you'll learn to wait upon me, then I will release the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, of my glory upon you in increasing measures. Mary's sitting. Uh, next, she is gazing up at him. Right? She's looking into the eyes of love. Mary was single-hearted. She had developed this paradigm of living before an audience of one. She was deeply connected to one man, Jesus, unmoved by criticism. She had a vision, I believe, to be an extravagant worshiper of God. Amen? Do you want to have that? I mean, to look into his eyes that are like flaming torches of love. <laughs> the very blaze of his gaze. I mean, he's looking at you and I right now. He has his eyes on his prize, and that's you and I. We were on his mind. He was seeing us when he went to the cross. You were worth it to him. You didn't deserve it, but you were worth it to him to pay that price and go to that cross so that you and I could be with him forever. 
I had this sense this morning when I woke up um, that he wanted you to know this church, this church in particular, that you are his dream come true. He's been dreaming about you throughout all the ages. And I had a sense, too, that even in the night season, God's going to give, begin to give you dreams. Maybe he already is, but he's going to reveal himself to you in, in dreams in the night season. So be asking for that. And ask him, Lord, <laughs> help me understand what that really means. Mary is beholding Jesus. And that's one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what are we setting our gaze on? What are we beholding today? Uh, because the things that you behold are the things that you eventually become. Right? And that's the promise. It goes both ways, positive and negative, but a great promise in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, that those that look with unveiled face, right, when those that, those that look upon glory with an unveiled face, they will be transformed or changed from glory to glory. So I think the Lord wants us to set our gaze then like Mary did on him. And often we spend time organizing our lives and, 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 and spending our time on entertainment when Jesus is the highest, most satisfying Divine entertainment in all of human history. <laughs> He's all satisfying. And so we need to spend time doing that. Um, I love the story of the Amish uh, boy and his father were visiting the mall. They were amazed by almost everything they saw, but especially by two shiny silver walls that could move apart and back together again. So this Amish boy and his father putting their gaze on this elevator. Like, what's this? The boy asked, what is this, father? The father, never even seen an elevator before, responded, son, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I don't know what it is. While the boy and his father were watching in amazement, an old lady in a wheelchair rolled up to the moving walls and pressed a button. The walls opened, and the lady rolled between them into a small room. <laughs> the walls closed, and the boy and his father watched the small circular numbers above the walls go up one and down side the other, and then the lights lit up in the reverse order. The walls opened up again. And a beautiful 24-year-old woman walked out. <laughs> and the father, not taking his eyes off the young woman, said quietly to his son, Son, go get your mother. <laughs> oh, no. Gazing on the glory and the supremacy of Jesus. That's what we were made for. To enjoy his glory. To marvel at the ever-increasing, ever-expanding knowledge of the Son of God. I believe that that is God's aim on the earth today. To ravish the affections of the human race with irresistible displays of his Son's glory. <laughs> It's called the wow factor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he is awesome. God commands us to know his glory with our minds and to treasure his glory with our hearts. To display its supreme value. 
to enjoy his glory as our highest and most superior treasure. The glory of God, I believe, is the supreme joy of his people. God's revealed excellence, all that he is, put on display and gone public. And we get to see it and enjoy it. What do you think? It's how we glorify God. We glorify God by enjoying him forever. Yeah, That's what John Piper said, right? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what we were doing in worship, right? We could have kept going forever. We were enjoying the glory of God. Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's all deserving. I want to show you a picture. Here's my, uh, put up that uh, picture of my granddaughter, little Abby Rose. There she is. We have three now. <laughs> I mean, she has me around her little finger. She'll, I do anything she says. <laughs> Took her to donuts the other day, a little coat and little boots, you know. <laughs> She's two and a half. Now, here's the deal. So when we go over to, to, to our kids' house and we open the door, or maybe they're coming to our house and we open the door, here's what happens. Little Abby Rose comes running up to me and says, Papa, Papa, jumps in my arms, and we spin around with joy and delight. I just, it's so awesome. <laughs> I feel more honored as a dad and that, I mean, as a grandpa in that moment than any other time. How much more with the Lord? When we run to him, throw ourselves and Papa, Papa, and he spins around with love over us and sings songs. He is glorified as father in that moment. Honored and treasured because he is our satisfaction. He's our joy in that moment. Hallelujah. That's what we're made for. So Mary Bethany, what is she doing? She's sitting. She's gazing at glory, at the beauty of God. And number three, she is listening to every word that he is saying. Like on the edge of her seat, listening. What he says, she's hanging on every word, clinging to it. She, I believe, desired to hear the word in such a way that would cause her to receive his love and then be empowered to return that love back to him. We love God because he first loved us. He's the one that starts the conversation in prayer <laughs> that we respond to. So I really believe that God is um, calling all of us, and this has been my challenge from the Lord over the last several years, is to, is to turn the word of God, the written word of God, into a personal dialogue with God. Amen. Amen? Praying the word of God back to God and hearing God speak to my heart through the written word of God. I mean, a literal love affair with the word of God. <laughs> I'm eating it. I'm taking it in. Right? I'm receiving his word, a, a personal encounter with Jesus in the word of God. I want to get into the text of the word until the text gets into me. That his word is literally abiding on the inside. Listen, we need a Bible revival today. How about a little less Facebook and getting into the book of God's face? A little less texting and actually getting to the text of the word of God. What have we got out of the chat rooms and into the prayer rooms? Hallelujah. 
The Word of God is living and active. It's, you know, you guys had David Hogan here, right, a few weeks ago or a month ago? Do you know his story, right? Do you know why he walks in such anointing and such power and love for his own family and a willingness to lay his life down because he spends two hours in the written Word of God every day? Chapters at a time. Sometimes 40, 50 chapters a day. And when he does revival meetings, he does 100 chapters a day. No, I mean it. Right, David? Man, you ask him personally. This is how he cultivates his relationship with his God. Any one of us, if we would spend that kind of time in the written word of God, I promise you, we would walk in that same kind of anointing. What do you think? Oh, I love the word of God. Oh, come on. Since we're around, let's do, let's do a little uh, sidekick here. Just for, are we okay for time? Okay, okay. Um, if you need to leave, you can. I bless you. I know you got parents. I honor the parents. <laughs> um, but let's talk about Mary um, and Joseph, that Mary. Uh, I love this. And the studies that I've done over the years and studied Greek some and I want to, you remember the story of Gabriel, right? She come, he comes, the angel, and prophesies the word of God, a lot of Old Testament promises over Mary that she was going to be impregnated with the Messiah, right? The son of God, and his name would be Jesus, right? And so you look at Luke 137, I love this promise. It says, for nothing, this is how Gabriel ends it, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary responds this way to that promise. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me as you have said. Now, here's the deal. That word nothing right there, for nothing will be impossible, that word nothing is rhema. It can be translated thing, but it can also be translated as word or message. It's one of the primary words, in fact, for the word of God. Right? You got rhema and you got logos, so they're used interchangeably. Typically, rhema speaks of the written word that's spoken in most cases. Right, so the word of God was spoken to Mary, right? And what did she do? She responded to that word, that promise, and says, may it be unto me as you have said. Okay, what does that tell us? The word here, rhema, is a prophetic promise. I believe a more accurate rendering than would be this, of this word rhema. No word of God is without dynamite is, is without dynamic or without power. Okay, so inherent in the word itself is power to make it happen, to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. The, the principle is still the same. Nothing's impossible with God, amen? But how is that possibility to come, kind of come forth? Through the power of the word of God. When God says a thing, inherent it is, is in it is the power to bring it to pass. That's the idea. God's word has power to affect change and has the capacity to wield force in that sense. We see this when Jesus speaks creation into existence and God said, boom. <laughs> is that good? What do you think? He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107. 
I love Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. No word of God is without power to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish. So Mary hears the promised word and responds to it by faith. And I believe the text implies this, that as she responds to the word of God by faith, she gets impregnated with the word made flesh. <laughs> okay, just saying. No, that should be awesome. Whoa, Holy Spirit overshadows her. It's the same thing that happens to you and I when we got born again. We heard the promised word of the gospel. We put our faith in that word, in the work of Jesus, not our own. And in that moment, we got impregnated with the word of God. You were born again of the spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, here's the deal. The same thing continues to happen. Every time you put your faith in the written scriptures and say in response to the prophetic promise, may it be unto me like Mary did, you will be impregnated with that promise in you and through you. It's the word of God that transforms us and changes us, right? Jesus prayed that. Father, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. We're washed by the water of the word, right? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. It's our very sustenance. We can't even survive without the word of God. It's living and active like a double-edged sword. His words are spirit and they are life. His word, it says, is inspired or God-breathed. How many of you want to experience the very breath of God on your life? Then dive into the written word. And breath implies, you know, you're getting up close, right? You got to get up near. Okay. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I love Peter. He declares to us that God's promises in his word help us become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world, right? Second Peter 1 Peter 1.4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So as we hear and respond by faith to the promises of God in his word, then we get pregnant with whatever that word promises. Salvation, forgiveness, healing, deliverance, guidance, empowerment, encouragement. Amen? Hallelujah. Helps us overcome sin. Yeah. Uh, it, it empowers us with authority in the place of prayer. Right, he says that whatever we ask, right, if, if we're abiding in him and his words are abiding in us, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But the condition there is 
abiding, doing the Mary of Bethany, right? And listening to his word so it's now in you. And then you pray that word back to him and it has authority. Bam. What do you think? Yeah, we were talking to David about uh, lightning. And uh, there's a Hebrew word uh, for intercession that is pagah. And the, and the idea is lightning in the natural. Okay, so lightning gets motivated from the heavens, right? But it starts from the ground up, goes up, and then we see it when it hits the earth and strikes the mark. Pagah means to strike the mark or lay upon. In the great picture of intercession, right? God motivates us from his word, moves our hearts with his purposes and plans. We receive that, and then we pray that back to him, and it moves his heart. And as he receives that, he answers with a divine yes, with that prayer target that we, we put here, and then releases and responds with his power and his truth and his love. And things change. Amen? I was in Washington, D.C. on prayer strike with Lou Engel uh, back in, I think, 2007. And the Lord asked um, my friend to take a picture in, with his five uh, intercessors in front of the Washington Monument. You've got to see the Capitol in the back, the reflection pool right there, right? And he goes, he takes a picture. He got lined up there. He's back by the Lincoln Memorial. Five, he got one of those old Polaroids. Remember those? <laughs> Counts down. Five, four, three, two, one. Click. Takes a picture. Lightning strikes the Washington Monument. And he gets it on camera. I got the picture of it. It's a great picture because we were about ready to do a pray for the nation together with 70,000 young adults. So God wants us to paint targets. And, and how do we know what to pray for? We pray the word of God, and then we pray for specific people, circumstances, things in our lives that we know need to change. What if we did that 24 hours a day? Then 24 hours a day, he would be striking the mark. God's word is a weapon of truth and spiritual warfare. Right? Amen? Take, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit's your weapon, the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. In the Greek text, there's a conjunction between the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer. Which means this. Here's how we interpret it. We wield the Word through prayer. Hallelujah! God responds and activates angels and dislodges demons. The atmosphere shifts. In your home, in your church, in the neighborhood, I don't care where you are, pray the Bible. <laughs> so let's have a Merry Christmas. Let's get pregnant with the Word of God. And go home and tell your family and friends that you were at church today and you got pregnant with the Word of God. Or you could just wait until you begin to show. <laughs> Back to Maria Bethany, right? She's doing three primary things, right? She's sitting, she's gazing, and she's listening to every word that he says. The Old Testament counterpart to Maria Bethany, of course, is King David. King David says in Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have desired to sit in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, right? What's that sound like? Sitting, right? 
Gaze upon the glory of the Lord, the beauty of God. What's that sound like? Looking up and gazing and inquiring of him in the temple. What's that? Listening to his words. How many of you want, you know, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. How many of you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Then we've got to live a lifestyle of one thing. That's what he names the one thing. Sitting, gazing, listening. Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Got a little bit of a controlling spirit. <laughs> not only does she want to control what Mary's doing, but she's telling the Son of God what to do. Doesn't work. Uh, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. How familiar is that statement to us this morning? Troubled, worried, anxious distracted, sometimes even with good things. I think that's one of the primary barriers in our relationship to Jesus. We get anxious, we get worried, we get distracted, and we forget to take time to develop and foster that secret history with Jesus. Paul spoke uh, to us in 2 Corinthians 11, 3. It says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The enemy's strategy in your life is not just to make you sin, but it's to distract you. Cause you to worry, be anxious, keep you from a life of prayer where your heart can find true rest. And shalom in him. Jesus wraps us up, the story in this last statement, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Right? Wisest thing in the world that any of us could ever do is sit and gaze and listen. It's not the only thing, right? We've got to do other things. We need to serve tables and we need to be Martha. But we need to be Martha with a merry heart and a merry lifestyle. The Son of God steps out of heaven and says, this is the most important thing in your life. It's a leadership principle of, it goes like this. Um, there's a bucket of rocks, big rocks, and then a whole bunch of other smaller sizes of rocks. And so the guy comes and he takes um, some gravel and pours it in, right? And it begins to fill up the bucket or the, the bowl, and then takes some sand, fills it up, and then right, more of it gets filled up. And he asks the question, you know, is, is it full yet? Right? And then he takes some water, pours it in, fills it up even more. And typically the answer to the question, people say, hey, okay, well, you know, what's the lesson behind this story? And most people say that there's always room for more, right? And I don't think that's a lesson at all. I think it's this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, then you'll never get those in, right? You put the sand in, you can't get it first, then you can't get the big rocks in. What's the big rock in your life? Jesus Christ. <laughs> your time with him is the most important thing in your life. Would you agree? 
So it's got to be intentional. It's got to be in our calendars, in our schedules. There needs to be a place where saying, Jesus, you're my priority. In fact, I recommend starting your day with God before you get started and saying, Lord, if you're truly my treasure, right? If you're most important, then I want to start with you first then. You know, we started with him first, then every day, I believe, could count for eternity. We wouldn't waste our time and struggle with distraction. Mary makes that choice to put the big rock in first. And it is a choice, right? I mean, there's a place of response that God's asking of us. All of us make choices on how we're going to spend our time. I love this choice is motivated, though, by a promise. Look at this. Okay, just saying. What did Jesus say about it? And it will not be taken away from her. She chose the good portion. It will not be taken away. What does that mean? I think it means this. God is going to remember and reward every movement of your heart towards him. No matter how weak it is, no matter how broken it is, how boring your prayer meeting is, if you will take one step to seek him, He'll remember it and he'll reward it. Now, here's the deal. We know that scripture promises that God's going to remove from his memory all of our sin and transgression, but he's going to remember all of our acts of devotion towards him. What do you think? I mean, that's good news. Does that make you want to pray, not just have to pray? You know, it's not just about obedience. You get a promise when you do this. And it doesn't matter how bad it is even. Five-minute prayer meeting seeking God with a, you you just, you just totally bored out of your mind. There's no open heaven. You don't feel anything. God rewards that too. Isn't that good news? Okay. Hebrews 11, 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Glory. That's why I said it's the wisest thing that any of us could ever do, any, engage in any activity that we ever do. These secret hidden times of lovesick adoration will endure as eternal wisdom. It'll never be forgotten, and it will be rewarded. So important, I think, that our worship and our intimacy with Jesus precedes our petitioning, our asking, and our intercession. Because... We're not just asking for something from him, right? We want to be with him. You know, what do you value? I think the Lord is calling us to 24-7 prayer. Now, none of us can do that. Um, you know, we can always be with God in the sense of aware of his presence, and, right? Amen? But I, I think also the Lord wants us to actually have committed times like the Moravians had where we are praying around the clock, really around the throne and then around the clock and then around the globe, since this is a missions church. (laughs) So I want to challenge you to commit one hour to do one thing. Right? Remember Jesus' challenge to the disciples. They were asleep right at Gethsemane. And we know today that we're asleep as well, many of us. We want God, but we're distracted and we're anxious. And God's wanting an awakening to happen in the body of Christ. Right? And so he challenged, you know, Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Could you just, 
Am I worth it enough to take an hour of your time just to be with me, to do this one thing that Mary and Bethany did? You know, what's your day to pray? What day is your day to pray? Second Tuesday, fourth Friday. Second Tuesday, fourth Friday. Today could be your day to sign up for an hour of prayer. Your pastors will help you if you don't know how to pray and don't know how to talk to God. You could take your hour and you could just read the Bible for an hour straight. Hallelujah, that's enough. You could put on a worship CD and just sit like Mary did and worship for an hour and that's enough. You could just say, help, help, for an hour. <laughs> you could do it as families, with your children. Mom starts off, fiery intercessor. Kids go around the table, pray simple prayers, right? You can even write them out for them, right? Dad closes out the time, feed them ice cream, put them to bed. Good, did an hour, hallelujah. Fun. You could go on a prayer walk, prayer over your neighborhood. Your church, go out of the store and pray. Right? There's lots of ways to do this, but God, I just want to challenge you. Could you take an hour? Just one hour a month? Just once a month? I mean, I know a lot of us Ben flits on Netflix, but I tell you what, could you just, you could keep doing that, but could you at least take an hour? What do you think? Just one hour, once a month. Okay, and then I could go a little further and say, maybe you could come down and pray during one of the corporate prayer times for an hour. Just one hour. You don't even have to do anything. You can just come in, sit in the seat, open your Bible and worship just once a week. Is Jesus worthy of that? Now, I'm not saying you have to. There's no legalism in this. It's not like you're going to disobey God. But ask the Lord what he would want you to do. And, and I, I bet you he might challenge you. Take that step of faith. It's one commitment. Jesus, I love you. I don't know how to do this. I don't really know what to say. You know, I just screwed up last night. But I tell you what. I'm going to come. I'm just going to come. And I'm going to believe your promise that it's going to be rewarded. It's not going to be forgotten. There's a lot of people here today. I mean, we could have 24-7 prayer here in a week probably. If all of us sign, sign up for one hour a month, right? How, what could we do if just everybody took one hour a month? Right? Let me close with this. Mary shows up again another time just before the cross, John 12, six days before the Passover. Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from the pure nard, right, the alabaster jar full of ointment, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, six days before the cross, Jesus enters Bethany, about a 20-minute walk from Jerusalem. Right? And he knows that he wants to be with his friends before he goes to that hour of trial. Because he knows that there's one woman in that city that gets it. And the boys don't get it. They're arguing like two-year-olds. Who's going to get the best seat in the house? <laughs> it's typical how it is, right? <laughs> All the women said, amen. I was going <laughs> to... Uh, Beth, they're in Bethany, probably the home of Simon the leper. He was healed of leprosy, right? So they're probably in town there. They're going to host a customary banquet, celebrate the miracle that happened, right? They're all showing up because they want Jesus to minister to them. Martha's cooking a meal again. Wanted to thank Jesus for his ministry, probably. 
Mary's got the alabaster jar. What does she do? She takes it. It's a costly ointment, probably a, a year's worth of wages. And this oil was used to refresh and exhilarate a guest that comes into your home as an act of hospitality. For Mary, this was her dowry. It was her only hope for marriage. If she wastes this or uses it on something other than her future spouse, then she would only have two options before her in the ancient Near East context at the time of Christ. Number one, she would either have to forever take care of Lazarus, her brother. Of course, there's no security in that. He already died once. <laughs> or she would have to beg or prostitute herself to survive. This was a costly choice. When she looks at these two choices, she understands the worth of Jesus, his value. That he says, it's like she's saying, Jesus, you are the priceless Son of God. You are worthy of all I have. I can risk and throw myself into your hands. When she looks at him, she knows her choice. When she sees him, it makes total sense. She gave him her best. Everyone was there because they wanted Jesus to minister to them, but Mary was there because she wanted to minister to his heart. Right? She washes his feet, gets down on her knees. And in, in that day, only servants would wash feet. So she postures herself as a servant. I mean, everyone thought this was crazy. I mean, again, Lazarus probably got it. And he's like, she's got a little revelation. <laughs> she's really right. He's totally awesome. <laughs> But in that day, respectable women did not let their hair down. In fact, we know in that context, in that day, it was only prostitutes that did that. What does that mean? She's willing to suffer her reputation. It didn't matter what everybody else in the room thought. Jesus was worth it. She wasted her entire inheritance her financial security, her future, her livelihood on Jesus. It was her offering, her act of worship to the one that she loved. She broke her greatest treasure over the one that she treasured the most. And as that act happened, fragrance, it says, the very fragrance of her worship fills up the house. Jesus shares that this anointing was also to prepare him for his burial. We know that when you study this ointment, this costly ointment, that it was so pugnant in that day that it would stay on somebody's body up to six or seven days. So here's Jesus for the joy set before him, enduring cross and shame. And he smells the worship of the one that loved him. Father, she's worth it. 
extravagant, costly worship, wasting even our inheritance, our reputation, our everything, because Jesus is worth it all. He has the right of all of me. So I want us today to anoint him this morning with the fragrant oil of our offering of worship. The worship team could come up and I just want to pray. Jesus, I ask right now, Lord, Lord, you're here among us, you're here with us. And Jesus, we say that you are worthy, all deserving of all that we are. Jesus Christ, we give our life to you this morning, God. Lord, we want to walk in that same grace of Mary of Bethany and King David. Be men and women after your heart. Let's stand. Father, I just pray right now, God, for revelation, knowledge of the glory of Jesus. Would you show us your glory? Show us your worth, Lord. Show us who you are, Jesus, that we might waste our inheritance on you. You are our portion. You are the one that we treasure, Jesus. Father, come right now. I pray this church will be known as a one-thing generation, a one-thing church, God. Holy Spirit, come. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might know Jesus more. I just want you to take a few moments, and as the worship begins to play, just take a couple moments. Put your hands on, just offer your life back to him today in your own words and wherever you're at today with Jesus and maybe you're far away it's it's not too late to come home maybe you don't have that sense of his presence right now but it doesn't matter he he's here so all you have to do is say here I am God and he'll meet you right there Holy Spirit come come Holy Spirit One hour to do one thing. Did you make that choice today? Become a person of prayer. How many would say this morning, let it be unto me, Lord, according to your word. Just, just pray that. Let it be, Lord, to me, according to what you've spoken to me this day, your word. 